Okay. All right. Well, we're going to dive into God's word together. Um, we're going to continue on from last Sunday. It's okay if you didn't hear last Sunday, you shouldn't be lost this morning, but, but we're going to pick up where we left off. And so this is part four. We're four weeks in to a series where we're looking at the life of Daniel. Um, there's a lot of prophecies in the book of Daniel. We might touch on some of them, but the real goal of this ser- series is to look at the life of Daniel and his friends and gain some wisdom, some insight on what it means to live a devoted life. And so we've watched Daniel in the midst of a broken culture, a declining culture in Babylon as he moves into captivity. And he's not just placed in this broken culture, they're trying to indoctrinate him with their way of life and their view of things. And yet he purposes in himself, like practically not to eat what's being offered, but in his heart to not take in and consume and be intoxicated by a culture that was far from the Lord. He chose to be faithful to the Lord. He purposed in his heart not to defile himself, we discovered. And so he was surrounded by that culture, but he wasn't just in Babylon. He's in Babylon with other followers of God who are there who didn't choose the same path he did. So he's stuck in the midst of a compromising people, people of God who were living compromised lives. Friends, if we don't think this is happening around us, we're missing the boat. We are in the midst of a Babylonian type culture. And for much of the church in America, it's compromising more and more all the time. And it takes courage and purpose in our hearts to say, I am not gonna defile myself. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm talking about what we were just singing. God, my heart, my life belongs to you. And so Daniel purposed to do that. He invited his friends into that and a handful of other guys come alongside with him. And so then we continued on the story. We begin to see how it's, it's great to make that decision to resolve yourself to that. But man, to walk it out is difficult. It's difficult. It's hard. Saying yes to the Lord often means saying no to other things. And it will often mean that your life looks different than other people around you. And that can, that can create obstacles that make it difficult. But these guys pressed in, bowed their lives to the Lord, remained undefiled. And because they only bowed their knee to that king, they were able to stand before even the king of Babylon. And then last week, we began to look at the story of this dream that Nebuchadnezzar has, and it was kind of, kind of haunting him, if you will. He, he knew it meant something. He wasn't sure what. It was keeping him up. And so um, he sends out this decree that if all his counselors can't um, not only tell him what the dream was, he wasn't going to tell him what it was. If they couldn't tell him what the dream was and then interpret it, they were going to be killed. And so Daniel and his friends get wrapped up into this and they're facing death. And yet Daniel's friends gave us a pathway of how we can handle crazy circumstances and situations like that. And what Daniel and his friends did is they turned to prayer. They sought the Lord. They prayed. They prayed boldly. They prayed with humility. And they prayed together in community. We, those three things are really important. In fact, we even looked at how in the New Testament, we see over and over again in the life of the church, the same idea of being devoted to the Lord, that word shows up throughout the New Testament and the majority of the time it's connected to God's people being devoted to prayer. 
specifically in community with each other. So not just I'm like the lone warrior in my prayer closet, like I am gathering with the saints of God regularly, steadily, consistently in prayer. It's a key part of living a devoted life. And as a result of this, God was merciful and God visited Daniel. He gave him insight. He gave him wisdom. He gave him direction. And we just, we just simply noted that, that intimacy and hearing from God are connected. The point of hearing from God isn't to slap on a big prophet badge. I'm a prophet who hears from God. The point of intimacy is to be connected with a God who loves us. And at times he will speak into our lives and maybe he'll even encourage us to share something with other people. God spoke to the people he loved. We see throughout Daniel, he was identified as a guy who was beloved by God. Similarly, in the New Testament, we see John, the apostle, known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He understood God's great love for him. And both of these guys were known for receiving revelation from God. Because those that we're intimate with, they share intimate details. There's things me and my wife know, share, talk about that's rooted in our relationship and intimacy and, and the Lord's like that. All right, so this, that's kind of where we've been. Now, we didn't actually then talk about what the dream was that Nebuchadnezzar had. And so that's where we're gonna take off this morning. So real quick, let's pray one more time and ask the Lord to speak to us through this. Lord Jesus, would you come be our guide? God, beyond the things that, that I'm planning on sharing or saying, Lord, I, I just pray whatever that needs to fall to the ground will, whatever that needs to land, that it will. But Lord, we're asking you to come and speak to us. Heavenly Father, you've made us to be worshipers of you and you alone. Jesus, you are meant to be glorified and lifted high. God, would you guide us and teach us how to walk this out? Holy Spirit, would you say the things to our hearts that we need to hear and then give us the grace and the strength to respond to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So first thing Daniel did is he went and he praised God. After praying, after receiving insight, he didn't just rush off excited he had the answer. He slowed down and thanked the one who was worthy to be praised. And so he, he thanked God. And now as he comes into the king's presence, I'm just gonna give you a taste of this. Um, verses 27 and 28 of Daniel chapter two is where we're gonna pick up. And I'm also gonna read verse 30. He's now standing before the king and listen to what he says. Daniel answered the king and said, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Skipping down to verse 30. But as for me, so, hey, I'm involved. Like the Lord reveals mysteries. He gave you something. Why am I here? As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me. Listen to this. This is so important how Daniel handles this not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living. This isn't about me. It's not about my ego. It's not about propping me up or making me look good. It's not about that. God has involved me in order that the interpretation 
may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. I want you to take note of that. That you may, that the interpretation of the dream may be made known, but that the thoughts of your own mind may be known as well. That's gonna become really important in a minute. And so Daniel gives all credit to the Lord. And he just says, God wants you to hear something. He wants you to understand what this dream was. It's something specific he wants you to see. And then he wants you to understand what's really going on in your own mind. And so I'm just gonna describe this a little bit. You can read more about this in verses 31 through 45. But briefly, he sees a great image. And this great image is like the image of, of a man. It was big, it was terrifying, it was intimidating looking. The head was a head of gold. And as you move down to the chest and the arms, they were of silver. And then kind of the, the torso, the waist, that area was bronze. The legs were iron. And then the feet were a mixture of iron and clay. And then after seeing all of this, this rock that had been cut from a huge mountain comes and it smashes the feet. And when it breaks those clay and iron feet, it causes the entire statue to crumble and the whole thing, not just the feet, the whole thing turns to dust and is blown away in the wind. And so then the interpretation comes and Daniel says, here's what the interpretation is. The head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar, that's you. That's you in your current present kingdom. And then there's another kingdom coming after and that's the silver. See, Nebuchadnezzar, what God showed you is a picture into the future. He's giving you eyes to see not only this moment where you are, but to open up your eyes to what the future holds. And so there's another kingdom coming after you. And then still another, the bronze. And, and um, Daniel's describing this as if each kingdom is somewhat inferior to the previous one. Gets down to the, the strong iron, that's a, a third kingdom. And then the fourth kingdom kind of is, is tied or attached to the iron kingdom, but it's mixed with clay. And it's not strong. It's weak. And then ultimately this rock comes and destroys. He says, all of these are kingdoms, but that rock, that's something different. It's something the God of heaven is going to establish. And it is a kingdom that will smash and destroy all the others. They'll never rise up again. There will never be other kingdoms like that. And this kingdom that gets established, it's eternal. It will not end. It will last forever. That's the dream. That's the interpretation. So I want you to see some things here, okay? A couple things just to stand out. First of all, when he's describing Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom in verse 37, he describes Nebuchadnezzar in, in some glowing terms. Like, like you're, you're this, he even uses the term, you're king of kings, not like capital K, like the king of kings, but like you are a king among kings, you rule and reign. You've been given this huge kingdom. But he makes a point to say, in the midst of the glory of Babylon, in the midst of the glory of Nebuchadnezzar, this head of gold, he's purposeful to say, God has given you this kingdom. What you have is not something you've earned or deserved. God has given it to you. That's grace. God's given it to you. The kingdoms of this world are continually inferior there's only one kingdom that will last. I, I hope you hear this little moment right here. 
there is this idea, this concept that we're always progressing and we're progressing forward and things are always getting better and they're improving. And there may be specific things. I mean, I I view air conditioning as improvement. I'm grateful for it. Okay, I'm not saying nothing improves. But guys, the, the world is in decline. It's in decay. And kingdoms, even when they first start, and they first start out great and powerful and strong, they decline, they don't last. And if we just view this just through the lens of, well, the kingdoms of this world, the powerful who crush the weak, they've got it coming for them and they'll be destroyed one day. And that's all we hear. That is, that is a part of it. But if that's all we hear, we're missing something. See, kingdoms are about what we put our trust in, what we put our hope in, what we rely upon. And we need to allow a little honesty to come in to help us recognize that there have maybe been times in our past and there might still be times in our lives now where we're leaning more on man-made kingdoms than we would care to recognize or acknowledge. And so this is not just a warning for Nebuchadnezzar, although it is. Because this theme beyond just this dream continues Genesis to Revelation. There is the theme of worldly, earthly kingdoms. And over and over and over again, God reminds us that it's his kingdom that's eternal. That Jesus is the ultimate king of kings who will rule and reign forever. And we are to be reminded as the people of God to rely on him and him alone and not place our trust in the kingdoms of men that will crumble and fall. And so one kingdom remains. So what are the results of this? Nebuchadnezzar hears this. What are the results? Well, if you continue to read on the story, the next few verses at the end of the chapter, Daniel gets promoted. The king is grateful for him, lavishes gifts upon him, celebrates him, and promotes him. He's like, man, you're now one of the top dogs in my kingdom. In fact, where prior to now, you've been kind of outside of my court and have occasionally come in, like you're now remaining here. You work right here with me. I want your voice and your presence as I'm guiding and making decisions. And so Daniel gets promoted and stays right there in the king's court. Daniel works things out and his three friends, these, these three faithful friends who fasted with him all that time, who prayed with him in prayer for the revelation of this dream, for the explanation, they get promoted. They get jobs kind of out in the province of Babylon. So they're not working right there with the king, but they're out in the province of Babylon and they, they have positions of power and influence now. This is the result. Daniel trusts God. He speaks boldly to the king. There's some wonderful things that happen for them. But there's one more result. I want you to see this before we move on. The very first verse of the next chapter King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. Did you catch that? He got a dream, a message from God. He received from God a message about the grace that had been given him to be in the place of authority and rule that he had And he's being reminded in the dream of the all-powerful God of heaven and that everything on earth is temporary 
every place of rule, reign, power, authority, it is temporary before God. Nebuchadnezzar receives this interpretation. And remember what I pointed out to you before to pay attention to? God wanted him to know the dream and to understand his own thoughts of what was going on in his heart and mind. Friends, Nebuchadnezzar heard from God. He received from him. But he heard what he wanted to hear. And he goes out and he goes, wow, I was like top dog in that dream. That's my image. That's my face. I'm the head of gold. Look at all I've got. Look at the success I have. And he created an idol out of the very gift that had came from God. He turned it into an idol. Watch how the story continues on. Picking back up verse one again. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits. This is like 90 to 100 feet tall. And it's breadth six cubits. And he set it up in the plain of Dura. He put it in a flat area so it would stand out. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Who else is in the province of Babylon? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. He sets it up. And we'll, we'll look at this together in a minute, but as the story goes, he demands that the people who serve under him bow down to this image. Friends, before we move on too quickly to the image of gold, we need to pause and consider this dream. Are we able to hear and understand the things that the Lord is trying to say to us? When God speaks, what do you hear? That's the question. Do I hear what he's actually saying to me or only what I want to hear? I've noticed this in my own life and sadly I've noticed it in dialogue and conversation with others. How often we can be in a setting, it could be a gathering like this where someone's preaching, could be a prayer meeting, it could just be a conversation, maybe in a life group or something. But these moments in time where something is being highlighted, something is being pointed out, something is being recognized. Like we're sitting here talking about our decaying culture around us, the compromising church that we find ourselves in the midst of. And we hear this stuff and it's stunning how often we just recognize what God's saying to them. Oh, they needed to hear that. Oh, I'm really glad my wife's in here this morning sitting next to me. She really needed to hear this one. Like you giggle a little bit, but like we do that. I don't recommend this as a strategy, but I remember hearing a message that this guy communicated once and he was talking to a large audience of people and he's kind of driving home a point similar to the idea of like the church compromising. And like he boldly makes the point and he speaks up and he says the truth and like he stops and there's that pause and everyone in this stadium just starts, yeah, you tell it, you, you know, they're cheering, right? Like he made a great point and they're acknowledging it and they're recognizing they're cheering it. And he takes a pause and they stop. And he said this, I've never forgotten this. I don't even remember what he was talking about, but I've not forgotten this. He stopped and he said, 
I don't know what you're clapping for. I'm talking about you. Whoa. Now, whether we agree with his approach or not, the question is, will I position myself before God to hear what it is he wants to say? What does he want me to see, maybe even about myself, that I'm a little blind to? Or maybe I'm not blind to it, I've just been willfully blind to it. I'm not saying everything the Lord has to say to us is bad news. Daniel got several visions. Some of them are very encouraging, life-giving, upbuilding. But part of positioning ourselves in worship, humbling ourselves before the, the Lord, is that we choose to put ourselves in a place where when he speaks, I listen. And even if it's something hard I need to hear, I'm willing to hear it. And so, friends, I want to encourage you this morning, but like always, let's purpose to adopt a posture more like Daniel and the humility we saw in his life last week than the way Nebuchadnezzar is responding, where he hears what he wants to hear. Because if we're not careful, some of the very blessings that the Lord will give will turn into idols in our life. And that's what happens next. Let's continue on. So that's the dream. Now, the image of gold. Continuing on, the king has built this image. Now we're moving to verse two. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps. You know, I have to make the joke. I think I was lifting something this week and pulled a satrap. I'm not sure. Yeah, okay. It didn't land this morning either when I was joking around with Alex about it, but whatever, I can't help myself. King Nebuchadnezzar sent together the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, there may have been like everybody in his kingdom there. That's possible but who's identified in the scripture is all the leaders. All of the people that have any sort of position or place or authority in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, the people that he has graced to have these positions are called together for the dedication of this image. Now, these people that he's gathering, these are leaders, many of them that he's conquered. There are people like Daniel and his friends. Now, Daniel is not mentioned in chapter three. He appears to be back at the capital in the king's domain. But his three friends are there and many others who've been gathered, conquered, trained, and then given a position there to come to this dedication. And then here's the announcement that the herald proclaims before all of these people. Verse four now. The herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages. So see, this is from everybody. It's not just Babylonians. These are all the people that he's conquered and gathered. That when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. So this isn't just an image to be proud of. It's not just look at me, let's celebrate how powerful I am. You're gonna worship this. I'm in charge, you're not, you're gonna bow before me. And whoever does not fall down in worship 
shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. That's the decree. Worship this image set up by the one who's conquered you, reconditioned you, and now promoted you. You've already successfully learned to live in this kingdom. It's been accepted. It's been normalized. You know the, all the ins and outs of it. You've aligned your life already with this place, with this kingdom. And because you were willing to do that, I've promoted you. And so now we're gonna take the natural next step. And you're gonna worship this image. That's what's declared. Therefore, all these people gathered. Verse seven, therefore, as soon as who? All the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music. All the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. As we highlighted week one, there were a lot more Jews in this group than just Daniel and his three friends. We only know of four that are faithful. From every area, every tribe, every region, every language that have fallen captive to Babylon. They hear the music, they bow the knee. Well, of course they did. Of course they did. They've been figuring out how to live, how to survive, how to acclimate. They've made little decisions every step of the way. They're years into this now. They've made little decisions, compromising decisions every step of the way. And this was just the natural next step. They go along. Now, I know you've probably heard this story before and you know that there's three guys that didn't bow down, but like, think about this for a minute. We already see Nebuchadnezzar making this idol, making this image and missing it completely. And we're all pretty familiar with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Maybe some of you are hearing this for the first time and we'll get there, but like, we're familiar with them. They take a stand. Have you ever stopped to think about the other people who knew the one true God? Thou shalt have no other gods before you. Thou shalt not make any graven images. They know. They know. It's been ingrained in them. It's been taught them. These are Bible people. These are church people. They know the truth and they've known it their whole lives. Don't you know some of them began to look around and realize like, wait, we're down here. Dude, what are those guys doing? Not one of them looked up at those three and was inspired to find a little courage and get back up on their feet and say, I will not bow. Oh no, I would be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I hope so. I hope I would be. Most weren't. 
Most weren't. The guy in charge wasn't. The people living under the rule and authority of that kingdom who just acclimated themselves to that culture. I wonder how many of them even recognize they should stand up. This is what we do. I'm surviving. Well, three didn't bow. And certain people came forward to point it out. It, it notes the Chaldeans. So that's actually Babylonians. So there were some Babylonians going, we weren't even conquered and we're down here on our knees. And these boys who got brought here in captivity, they're standing, we're not, we're not having that. And so they go before the king to point it out. Verse 12. And they say, there are certain Jews whom you've appointed over the fairs of the province of Babylon. You see how they're playing on his pride? Like you gave these guys a position. You gave them authority. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar is furious with rage. Verses 13 through 15, let's just see the story unfold. Then Nebuchadnezzar in a furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Verse 15, now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. I'll overlook this little indiscretion if you'll just bow the knee now. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? The very kings of this world, the very kingdoms that we look to and trust, many of us think they serve us. Many of us think that the lives we're choosing, the things we're prioritizing, the very idols that have been propped up in my life. Like, like an idol, it's just, it's something that you look to and you've placed too high of a value on. This could be a career. This could be another person. Idols can be good things that are made something that they're not. I can worship my kids. career, whatever. And see this thing, it's working for me. I'm heading this way. I want to go this way. My life is unfolding the way I want. It's all falling into place. And, and sometimes we begin to think like, oh, this, this doesn't govern me. It's not in control of me. I'm in control of it. Yeah. Until we contradict it. And the king's like, oh yeah, things are good for you here. You'll be promoted. You'll move forward. You'll enjoy great success in life until the minute you'd stop bowing the knee and then we'll see who's in charge. And he drops the hammer. Friends, we've got to realize 
that it's the little by little choices that we make that determine who we really worship, who we really bow down to. If you're like me, you know, maybe you've had thoughts at times like, man, when the going gets really tough and like, if my life is ever on the line, you know, if some dictator is like forcing me to do something that, that contradicts my faith, man, I'm really hoping and believing I'm gonna stand strong. But friends, in all of those little moments, we're already making the decision. Bowing the knee to Christ always costs something. And the reason Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could stand strong is because they'd already been practicing this for over three years. They'd already decided I'm not bowing the knee to this kingdom. I'm not taking in what they're offering. They'd already made that choice. And see, the truth is, I don't even know if we would recognize when we are at the moment where I'm making the big compromise. How many of those people even realized this was a life or death thing? They were just going along. I just, I'm, I, I, this is not meant as an accusation. I don't think we have some church full of idol worshipers. I'm not, I'm not trying to throw anything at you, okay? But what I wanna encourage you to do is to recognize we live in a culture like this. And our culture worships some things. And our culture sets a certain way of living, lifestyle, aims, pursuits, up as something worth pursuing, and we are surrounded by people aimed at that. And then we live in the midst of a church in the United States of America that radically compromises. And so there is this stuff happening all around us. And I just have to say to you, friends, we at least need to be aware so we don't become so familiar that it's so normal, all the stuff swirling around us, that we're just going along. We've got to consider the possibility that we might get tempted and drawn in where we begin to worship and prioritize things other than the one true God, the true King of Kings, the true Lord of Lords. Will I make my career bow to that? Or is success and financial comfort and ease too much? Will I place my identity in something or someone other than him? We've, we've at least got to walk with some humility and some openness to say, Lord, I'm walking humbly before you. And God, will you help me see if this is me? Not just this morning, like always, God, would you open my eyes to see places where I might be prone to worshiping another idol, to compromising before you. And it's ripping me off and it's ripping off my family. It's ripping off my spouse and I'm not even able to offer hope to the other people around me who are all bowing down because I don't even have the recognition or the courage to get up on two feet and stand strong and devoted before God. Verses 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer to you in this matter. That's some courage. They've answered to him before. They've submitted to his authority and rule right up until it contra contradicted their walk with God. They said, the line is right here and I see it and I know and I'm not crossing it. 
And so I have no need, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Verse 17, if this be so, if you're really gonna throw us in the fire, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, friends, it's time for us to find a little but if not faith. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. The king spoke and God spoke. God had something to say to Nebuchadnezzar that was meant to instill a proper sense of who he is and produce humility. The king spoke in all his pride and demanded this. And so what happened? God's faithful rose up and said, we will not do this. Friends, the real tragedy in this story is not that the king is getting ready to throw them in the fire. The real tragedy is only three were willing to be thrown into the fire. That's the tragedy. I don't mean to minimize hard times, hard circumstances. I don't mean to minimize times where it costs us something to be faithful to the Lord. Where it costs someone's opinion of me. The scripture talks about being a fool for Christ. If you believe the whole Bible, if you dedicate yourself to it, you will be considered a fool by many in the day in which we live. They stayed strong. See, the truth is God's kingdom, in God's kingdom, I'm sorry, the true measure of success it's not the circumstances that we all like to look at to see if something's successful. Is my life successful or is it going off the rails? And we look at certain circumstances around us to determine that. In God's kingdom, the true measure of success is simply faithful devotion. That's it. The American church for far too long has been caught up in celebrating and measuring other things to determine success instead of both as the leaders of the church and just any of us within it determining the only thing that measures success in this life, am I faithfully devoted to Jesus Christ? Does he have my heart? Am I following him? Not external measures of success. Am I faithfully devoted? I wanna encourage you to read through Hebrews chapter 11. This can be a little homework for you on your own. Because these three guys end up in this, like what's been known as the hall of faith. And towards the end of that chapter, verses 32 through 40, dig into it yourself. It begins to describe all of these different things that God's people have been to. Miraculous situations they've been rescued from, including the fiery furnace, and seeming defeat where people weren't rescued. They were tortured and killed for their faith. It also points out to seemingly unsuccessful lives. People who lived poor lives, who went about like John the Baptist, just in like sheep's and goat's clothing, living in the desert. 
it, it points out to people who experience the radical miracles of God, people who experience great pain in being faithful to the Lord, and people who experienced unsuccessful lives by the measures of this world. And this, they were described as people that the world was not worthy of. They were holding on in hope to the promise of God. Let's wrap this up. The story unfolds, Nebuchadnezzar's in a rage, fury. He's like, I want them clothes and all thrown into that fire. Bind them up, make it seven times hotter and throw them in. And it describes that the very people who threw them in, the guards that threw them in, the fire was so hot, they died. They didn't even go in the fire. They were just near it. They died. They get thrown in the fire. The only, the only thing that was done outside of all their clothes being left on them is they were bound up. They were tied up so they couldn't move. And they were thrown bound down into the fire. Verses 24 and 25. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. And he declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, O king. Then he answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of God or son of God's, depending on your translation. He recognized Jesus right in the middle of that fire with these three faithful guys. He's astonished by the power of God and his presence with those he loved in the fire. Friends, there is no promise that we will steer clear of all fires. The promise is the Lord will be with us in the midst of the fire. And so they pull them out. And as they're coming out, they're like, well, they don't pull them out. They say, hey, y'all come out. <laughs> We're not going in to get you. Y'all come out, come out of the fire. And so Nebuchadnezzar sees them. It says, when they come out, I'm gonna pick up in verse 27. Sorry, it's kind of in the middle of the slide. Verse 27, and all these satraps, prefects, governors, the king's counselors, they've gathered together. They gotta see this. And they saw that the fire had not even had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed and no smell of fire had come upon them. That's a miracle. <clears throat> I smoked some meat earlier this week and our house smelled like smoke for two days. This is a miracle. <clears throat> they didn't even smell like fire. So here's these guys, they get thrown in the fire and they weren't even burned. Jesus shows up in the middle and they're all just like, they're blown away. And here's Nebuchadnezzar's response when he sees all of this. Verse 28, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. Friends, it's that simple. Worship is not measured by, do I sing loud on Sunday morning? Am I one of the weirdos willing to raise my hands and get kind of loud? Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't raise our hands or sing loud. Unfortunately for people near me, I sing kind of loud. That ain't the measure of what you worship. That's like, that costs little. 
The measure is this. Will I compromise and bow down to idols? Will I serve other gods? Or do I draw a line and say, no, I worship him and him alone, no matter what it costs me, even if he doesn't rescue me from the fire? I want to leave you with three points of application. We'll get out of here. When we remain devoted, there's three things that happen. Number one, we are able to face our idols honestly and reject them. When we remain faithfully devoted, we are able to face our idols honestly and reject them, even at great cost. That's a really good place to start. Lord, I I don't know if I'm devoted to you. Lord, I feel like maybe I even do compromise. Okay, well, Lord, would you help me to see what my idols are with honesty in my heart? And God, would you empower me to lay down those idols, to reject them? It might hurt. It might cause, that one might be giving me a strong sense of identity. I don't know if I can lay that down. Number two, when we remain devoted, Jesus joins us in the fire. He joins us in the fire and we aren't destroyed. We're purified and we're set free. You know, it's easy to look at this story and go, wow, they were in the fire and nothing burned. That's not true. Something did burn. Did anybody catch what burned in the fire? The only thing that burned in the fire was the bondage put on them by the powers of the kingdoms of this world. When the people of God are willing to go into the fire facing our idols, It can be scary, it can be intimidating, but the fire of God does not consume us. It purifies us and it sets us free. And the only thing we lose is stuff that we might think is helping us, but it's actually got us bound up. And when he sets us free, we can rock freely even in the fiery trial. Third, last thing. When we remain devoted, we leave a legacy of devotion that impacts others. There is one other character in this story who makes no appearance. And it's because there is a faithful guy named Daniel who took the first stand three years prior, five years prior, however many years prior, who took the first stand and he invited some friends along with him. And he said, hey guys, we're gonna fast and we're gonna pray. And he lived a devoted life in front of those three guys. And when their leader wasn't around anymore and they were left on their own, they discovered my faith ain't just Daniel's faith, it's my faith. I don't just serve the God of Daniel. I serve the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I serve the God of Jake Spencer. Whether we realize it or not, when we take this, these courageous stands, friend, we, friends, we do something so radically important, so radically important. We leave a legacy of devotion for other people to see, to be inspired by, to follow. Friends, some of the very things we would like to see in our kids one day, 
Like when we think about and worry about them, how are they gonna turn out? Are they gonna love Jesus? Are they gonna be all right? And maybe we even see some of the very things they're currently struggling with and we're so worried about shaping them. You know the solution? Let Jesus shape you. You learn to lay down idols. You learn to live a life devoted to him. You let him burn off the stuff that's gotta go. And you watch the legacy of devotion that's set. You have a house filled with a mom and a dad who commit their lives to Jesus, who repent when they're getting it wrong. I think some of the most important things I've done is looked at my kids and said, I'm sorry. I blew that. I didn't handle that right. Friends, living a faithfully devoted life, this is what it can produce. We can face our idols honestly and reject them. We can watch Jesus be with us in the fire, purifying us and setting us free. And some of the very things we've been aiming for that we're not gonna hit the way the world tells us to go. Instead, we're trusting them to the Lord and we end up leaving a legacy of devotion that touches lives around us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are a God who speaks Thank you for for relationship with you. God, rooted in your word, rooted in prayer. Thank you, God, that you do give us some people to surround ourselves with, like Daniel and his three friends. God, may we be people devoted to you who pray with and for one another. And God, would we be people who worship you? Yes, we wanna express it freely, joyfully as we as we pray, as we sing, as we lift hands to you, God, those are all right, good, appropriate forms of worship. But Lord, at the real heart of the matter, God, will we be people who refuse to bow the knee to other idols? We would bow our knee to you and you alone. God, speak to us. If there's something we need to see or hear in our lives right now, some idol you want us to recognize, Help us to see it and reject it by your grace and your power in our lives. Jesus, would you break the bondage that thing has had us in? God, we're willing to step into the fire with you. It might hurt a little bit, but you're gonna see us through it. We're gonna be purified and set free as a result. God, we entrust the unknown future into your hands because you know and you see because your kingdom is the kingdom that will never end. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.